Good morning. So good to be here together. Aren't these decorations wonderful? Uh, you can see them all throughout the building, and I encourage you, if you haven't seen them, walk around and look at everything. Uh, everyone who helped with VBS we just had on Friday, in case you're visiting and are wondering what all this is about, uh, we are so very appreciative of all of those who worked so very hard to make our VBS this last Friday such a success. And so we like to leave up the decorations so everybody can enjoy, enjoy them and see what we did, a little bit of what we did and what it looked like. And we're so very thankful to God for the uh, opportunity to do Vacation Bible School and for all of the children and families that we reached and for all those who worked so very hard to make it uh, what it was. We appreciate that so much. And uh, Mason was just telling me that he can't wait to pick up one of these coconuts over here. So if you need to come look at them and pick up a coconut, you're welcome to after, after worship. That would be great. You know, in adolescence, as you, as you work through adolescence, growing up during those uh, preteen and teenage and young adult years, you're trying to figure out a few things. Some of you may not remember all that, the things that you're trying to figure out. Most of you do. And uh, there are times when it can be a pretty confusing time of life. There's three basic questions that uh, adolescents are trying to figure out during that time of life in order to move into the stage of adulthood. Who am I? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with my life? And those are basic fundamental questions, and sadly, not everybody figures out the answers to those questions. Well, there's a lot of answers out there that the world gives, that people give, but we want to look at uh, what God would have us to understand about those, and then what do we do with that? One early 20th century philosopher was seeking after the answers to really the same questions, and this is what he said. The universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap, spinning in an infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I'm quite convinced that no one has the least idea. Boy, what a sad existence. Is that the way you want to live your life where you have, you, you have no idea what's going on? You wander aimlessly through life wondering what this is all about. What's the point of it? And so often you just end up pursuing what makes you happy, whatever the world says is a good thing to do, and, and maybe f often feeling empty and life being meaningless. But Christians are supposed to be different, aren't we? Christians are supposed to have more clarity on life and on the answers to these questions. Uh, Christians are supposed to have a different world view. And, in, and ultimately, as we're going to see that everything about who we are and what we do, and we're talking specifically in this series about our decisions, ought to bring glory to God. There's some things that a Christian knows. A Christian knows where 
we came from. See, Christians know the answers, supposed to know the answers to these questions because God tells us the answers. A Christian knows where we came from. Uh, Genesis uh, 1.1 tells us in the beginning God did what? Created. Well, that lets us know where we came from. God created everything. And down in verse 27, uh, Moses lets us know God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created and God created us. That's where we came from. And so whatever other theory, you know, whatever theories are out there, whatever other things people say, I can know, well, that ain't true because I know that God created and he created us. Christians also know what we're, where we're going in life, what this is about. Where are we going after this life? Jesus said in John 14, 2, that he was preparing a place for his followers to be with him when he returns. And that this, was in, this place is in his father's house. And he would return one day and take his, his people, his followers, with him to be with him forever in his father's house. Christians also know what we live for. Christians are to have clarity on what we live for. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul writes, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What do I live for? What, what do I do with my life? Well, everything I do, whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. So if I'm going to go do that thing, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to do that thing over there, my question is, is it going to glorify God? And if it's not, then that's not something I ought to be doing. And in everything I do, I need to do it in such a way that brings glory to God. My life ought to bring glory to God. My decisions ought to bring glory to God. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.15, where he said that Jesus died for all people, so that those who live, meaning those who are Christians, might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. What do I do with my life? And what is it that a Christian is to know? We know what we live for. And we know that my life is no longer my own when I'm in Christ. And I live for the sake of Jesus, to bring Him glory in all that I do. In the Sermon on the Mount, in, in, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, uh, one of the verses, all, all of the Sermon on the Mount really sums up the Christian's life. But I think chapter 5, verse 16 does a great job of, of giving us a, a very uh, a short statement about this is what your life is about as a Christian. It's to give God glory where Jesus said, uh, those who choose to follow Him, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. They only see your good works when you're letting your light shine, and that then they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So my life is to be about uh, uh, letting my light shine, being salt and light, as he just said, so that when people see my life, it brings glory to God. So I've got to ask myself, is, is there a part of my life that's not bringing glory to God? 
Is there, is there a part of life that I haven't yet turned over to him, that I haven't surrendered to him, that is not under his, his rule and his reign? And I need to make sure his light shines in that, in that part of my life so that it can bring glory to God. So I want us to think about some practical ways we can bring glory to God in all of our decisions and essentially what this means is, how do I learn to be an imitator of Jesus? How do I imitate him who, who for my, my sake died and, and now I live for him? And so what does that mean? That means I need to imitate him. Well, how am I going to do that? I need to watch and learn through scripture how he lived, how he thought, how he acted, how he treated others. The things that he did, the way he behaved, the things he even didn't do. And if I can learn from him about how he lived, then I can imitate him if I follow the words of Scripture. Because this is ultimately about being an imitator of Jesus. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21 that Jesus left us an example that we're to follow in his steps. And then John picks up on that. John says really the same thing in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever uh, says he abides in him, in other words, whoever claims to be a Christian, whoever says, I'm in Christ, I'm a Christ follower, then they ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What does all that mean? That means I need to learn to be an imitator of Jesus and that all of my decisions need to bring glory to God. Let's look at a few different ways that we can glorify God in our decisions. The first is to imitate Jesus' goodness. We could go on and on and have an endless list about all the ways we can imitate Jesus, but I want to point out just a few for you this morning. We need to imitate Jesus' goodness. There's a lot of good in this world, but we look around and real quick we find a lot of things that are really terrible. And we wonder what's wrong. Well, one of the things that we've got to do, we're supposed to let our light shine in this dark world. And so how do I do that? I need to imitate Jesus' goodness. Look at Matthew chapter 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount. And in verses 43 and 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, if we give the same hate that the world gives, we're no different from them, no matter what we claim to be. No matter who we claim to follow, if we do just like they are, then we are just like they are, right? And so Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this way. I'm telling you, as your Lord is the one you imitate, as the one you're following, as the one you seek to be like, I'm telling you, that ain't the way to live if you're my follower. That you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't see that all the time in life, do we? And that's not even how we always feel. Somebody does something to us and we're mad because our feelings feel. And we want to lash out. We want to get back at them. We want to say something even meaner to them. We want to do something uh, worse to them than they did to us. We want them to know how bad they hurt us. I know a, I have a friend, and, and this was at ACU, and uh, someone... 
someone did something mean to his brother, and he went, and it was three different guys. He went and broke out all the windows on all their cars and slashed all their tires. <laughs> that is not the way we're supposed to live if we're Christ followers. That's not what we do. That's not the kind of decisions we make. Jesus said, you've heard this is the way it's supposed to be, but I'm telling you, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Imitating Jesus' goodness overcomes evil, doesn't it? See, when I choose not to react and respond in the way the world does and the way the world treats me, and I react and I respond in the way Jesus would have me to, my good begins to overcome evil. You say, well, wait a second, there's still evil out there. Yeah, but if I decide, I can't control what other people do, but I can control me. If I decide I'm going to overcome evil with good by imitating Jesus' goodness, then I'm making a difference. I'm, I'm pushing the needle a little little bit that way. We'll never eradicate all the evil in this world, sadly. But I've got to do my part to overcome evil by doing good. Paul said that in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And perhaps when I do that, then people will see the light that I'm trying to shine, that I'm trying to shine Jesus's light, and they'll see those good works and they'll see the way I respond, that I'm trying to be an imitator of Christ. And just maybe some of those folks will glorify my Father who's in heaven because of the decisions I made. Another way we bring glory to God in our decisions is to imitate Jesus' love. That might be the most obvious one. Look with me at John 13, 34 and 35. A similar thing to what he recently said, where he said, you've heard it said this, I'm telling you this. He, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, what was the new command? The new command is just as I have loved you. Because they knew, the Jewish people knew from, from way back, they were commanded to love one another. But Jesus said, I'm giving you a new command. I'm going deeper. I, I'm, I'm going, this is more significant. This is stronger than the way it was before. He said, I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. You see, now they had a personal example. They had a tangible uh, example they could follow. They could watch Jesus. How did Jesus love others? How did Jesus live among others? I can see that and I can follow that. And he's saying, I want you to do it the way I do it, is what he's saying. And so... It, the difference was just as I have loved you. See, we glorify God in our decisions when we choose to love one another the way Jesus loved us. And that again, that's not always how we feel. That's not always how we want to react and respond. That's not what we want to do all the time. But Jesus said, I'm, telling, I'm giving you a new command. Now, now did, you, did you catch one of the key words? He didn't say, I'm giving you a new suggestion. Hey, if you would think about this, if it's convenient, you might consider. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm giving you a new what? 
command. They were commanded back in the early days of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying it's still a command. It's just I want you to do it the way I've done it. And so it's not an option for the Christ follower. It's a commandment to love the way Jesus loved. You see, we talk about salvation issues a lot. We kind of zero in on a few things, and those have their place, and those are important to talk about. But we forget a whole lot of other things where Jesus said, I'm commanding you to love others the way I have loved you. That's a salvation issue, don't you think? It sounds like it to me. See, Jesus isn't giving us a suggestion. He's saying, this is how I'm commanding you to live. Another way we can glorify God in our decisions is in imitating Jesus' purity. Imitating Jesus' purity. Certainly one area where Christians need to bring glory to God in this world is in sexual purity. We see so much impurity in this world and culture. It's literally shoved in our face shoved down our throats. The show might say it's PG, and you realize there, and it's an animation, but there's all kinds of stuff crammed into that thing nowadays. Nowadays, you can't hardly watch anything. You've got to screen everything triple times to make sure what's actually in this, what have they put in this, what are they trying to shove down our throats. I heard someone say one time that uh, we let people in our house that we would, through our TV, And we would say nowadays through all of our devices that we would never let in our front door. And we let them stroll right in and do what they want to do through all of our screens that we have. Paul is crystal clear about sexual purity when he writes in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verses 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now many people pick up on the adultery and homosexuality and they say, well, see, yeah, those are bad. Well, wait a second, that's not all Paul was talking about. Back up a little bit. Because if we look closely, we see the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God either. Along with these other things that he lists. So it's not like there's one or two or three or four really super bad things and as long as I avoid those, I'm okay. No, Paul said anything that isn't isn't imitating Jesus, that's not how we're supposed to live. I would say that's another salvation issue. We can't skim over the sexual immorality that Paul is talking about they also won't inherit the kingdom of God. I need to live sexually pure in my life if I'm going to be a Christ follower. And that takes a lot of decisions, doesn't it? You've got to make decisions on a regular basis. What are you going to do today? What are you going to look at? What are you going to think about? Who are you going to be with? What are you going to do over the weekend? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to hang with? A number of decisions, and you don't make that decision just once and think you never have to make it again. You've got to make those decisions over and over and over again because that's how many times the temptations and opportunities will come your way. And you've got to be willing to say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm an imitator of Jesus, and my decisions matter, 
And when I make this decision, I can make this decision, I can make this decision to keep me on the road living for Jesus. Paul continues in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. See, that's how you used to live. And in other, two other places, uh, Ephesians and, 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 and uh, Colossians, Paul would talk about putting off your old self and putting on your new self. He said, that's who you used to be. You used to live that way. But you've been washed. You've become a Christian. And when you put on Christ in baptism, you're supposed to leave that stuff behind. And that's why he said, and such were some of you. And, and, and folks, we've got to remember that no matter how, how much gray we get or how old we get, we have a past too. Everybody's made some decisions they wish they hadn't made. Everybody, so, so don't, don't, don't forget that when you're, when you're trying to work with someone who's younger, who's struggling, that you were there once too. And you remember, as Paul said, and such were some of you. And that, all that does is ought to make us more thankful for Jesus' salvation, more thankful for the blood that he shed on the cross, more thankful for his forgiveness, and motivate us to want to be more of an imitator of him. Look at verses 18 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What do you do about sexual temptations and, and immoral sexual decisions? You flee them like Joseph did. You jump and run far away from them. And that's how you make a decision to glorify God in your purity. See, Paul reminds us you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Don't forget that. And your body's a temple. Don't don't make the temple impure. Make decisions that keep your temple pure. And he finally says, glorify God in your body. My body is to glorify God. And finally, we see uh, the final one I'll share is, is we need to imitate Jesus' devotion. We need to imitate Jesus' devotion. If I'm going to glorify God in my decisions, I need to imitate Jesus' devotion. There are countless things begging for our devotion. Sports, hobbies, leisure, uh, uh, work, family, and all of these are good things. There are nothing wrong with these things, but everything is pulling for our devotion. We've got to decide with our decisions, with our power to decide what gets my devotion and to what degree. As a boy, Jesus was lost as far as his parents knew. They couldn't find him. And they found him in the temple teaching and discussing with the experts. And when they finally found him, they said, they said well, Jesus, we, we couldn't find you. And he says, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I must be in my father's house? See, his devotion to doing his father's will was that strong. And he said, that's what I need to be doing. It, that was more than even, uh, that he was more devoted to that than even traveling home. He said, this right now is what I need to be doing. 
Later in life, he told the crowd following him in John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I'm not even here for myself. And if I'm going to make decisions that imitate Jesus, then I've got to realize I'm not here for myself. I'm here to do the will of my Father. And then we see in his last moments on earth, before he fulfilled his mission and knowing the pain he was about to face, he knew what crucifixions were. He had seen them. They were common. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And he's in the garden praying, praying to God. And he cries out, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. His body, he was 100% human, 100% God. And that human part was crying out, sweating like drops of blood, crying out saying, please, if there's another way, I know what I'm about to go through. And of course, they, they multiplied his by 100. He knew what he was about to face and his body was trembling. Is there another way? And yet, because of his devotion to God and doing his Father's will, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, you and I as the Hebrew author, we don't have to face anything that that costs us our own blood. The temptations and challenges and the things pulling for our devotion, it didn't cost any blood. Jesus knew he was going to give it all for us. And his devotion didn't waver. How was Jesus able to surrender to God at this moment? It's because all his life he had been making decisions, one domino after another, decisions to glorify God, decisions to do his Father's will, decisions to be devoted to his Father. And he lined up all the dominoes and they led him to one place to ultimately glorify God all the way through the end of his life on earth. What about your devotion to God? Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 2, that we are to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter says this is where your devotion is to be. It is to be on doing the will of God. So if someone were to ask you as we wrap up, What is the measure of success for a Christian or for a church? How would you measure success? I think Paul captures it for us well when he writes in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is the measure of success, if you will, for a Christian and for a church? It is to answer the question in a positive way that, yes, my decisions glorify God. The choices in life that I make bring glory to God. And my personal life, 
And then as we gather together and scatter as a church of the Lord, as a congregation of the Lord's church, that we make the kind of decisions we're to make that glorify God. Not, not driven by our own agendas and passions and interests and pleasures or anything like that or personalities or anything. Nothing should motivate us except the glory of God. And if we do that, we can say, we've done what, we've suppo- what we're supposed to have done. We weren't perfect and we ran to that throne of grace for forgiveness. And we always knelt down asking God for His direction and His blessings. But our our sole pursuit in life individually and as a church was to bring glory to God. Is that how you've been living your life? I, I hope so, but we also reach times in our life sometimes where we need the prayers of the church. We need to say, help me, pray for me, uh, be with me on this. I'm trying to make some changes or this is going on and I want the prayers of the saints. Maybe someone needs to repent. They say, I, I gotta, I, I've been lining my dominoes up this way and I'm supposed to have been going this way. I need to change some things in my life. Maybe someone says, I, I hadn't even begun and I'm, I'm ready to be united with Christ in baptism, to, to confess Him as my Lord and, and be washed in the watery grave of baptism, forgiven of my sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to live for Him in all of my decisions and glorify Him. If we can help you in any way this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea.